0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Editor podcast, Nottingham Forest nil, Arsenal 5 and all those worries, all of those worries after PSV and the Southampton game away and oh maybe there was a bit of a wobble, no we've come out with seven wins and um, out of nine games out of the entirety of October, we're top of the league, we're guaranteed a place in the top two going into the World Cup, all things are good, no matter if, even if you do have a slight dip for three games, things are all looking rosy and Tottenham are still not doing very well. Connor is joining us to explore. How are you, mate? Yeah, doing very well, thanks, Toby. And as you said, you know,
1: story of an Arsenal fan is all going a little bit wobbly, a little bit pear-shaped in a way after Southampton away, after PSV away, and then we come back with a 5-0 win and six points on Sunday for the women's team and for the men's team. So, you know, as I said, story of an Arsenal fan, but still a good time to be an Arsenal fan.
0: I know, I know. I mean, I don't know how much you affiliate the um, the terror that we're feeling for every game that goes past to, to Halloween. And like, I guess just things are just like, I'm just generally feeling scared every time that we kick a ball. Every time I look down the fixture list, there seems to be something I'm really worried we could slip up on. And um, not going forward, coming into this, right? We're... Four goals conceded in the last five games, and um, you know, obviously, we've put five past them in one, so I definitely wasn't the most confident going into it. I thought we'd win, but I thought it would be hard, and it'd be one of those that the pundits the next day would be feeling a little bit did they just squeeze past Nottingham Forest at home? Really, could they? Would they? Uh, all that sort of thing, but um, no, it's I think uh, I've had my scares for the for now, and here we are on Halloween recording, and then I think it's about as I think all my scares are finished touch wood
1: yeah I was very tempted to be to, it was sort of like a toss up am I going to be dressed up as Arsenal as a football club uh, or am I going to be dressed up as Mark Zuckerberg and so I sort of you know I think I've gone for, <laughs> for the Arsenal just for that extra scare factor
0: oh, I like it I like it. are you going out are you doing anything Halloweeny are you are you trick or treating are you going out and having some drinks what are you doing
1: no, unfortunately not. I've turned turned provider this Halloween, so I've had a a couple of trick or treaters at my door, and I've been very ill prepared. So I've sort of <laughs> rationed out this huge bar of Dairy Milk chocolate as best I can, but hopefully getting in some
0: more supplies soon. Mate, I did it the other day, so you know, as I said in my flat, um, my my old housemate, uh, very 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 nicely, sent an email out to my entire flat saying that we would be <laughs> very welcome. Uh, to any trick or treaters coming in, and we, you know, on Saturday night we're like, "What the hell? The doors going off every five minutes, and all these kids coming in trick or treating, and it was great." We had to go downstairs. We got some, uh, got some sweets. It's it's quite sweet actually. It's very very nice. It took me back to a time where where I was doing all those sorts of things. But um, here we are on a Monday night. It is the eve of Halloween, or it is Halloween, or however you're supposed to say it. And uh, mm-hmm. yet to be getting any knocks at the door. But the only person I can imagine um, who is feeling the fright at the moment I guess within the Arsenal team and which will very delicately and smoothly take us on to what happened in the Arsenal game is perhaps Kieran Tierney who I guess was the only person of contention that wasn't in the lineup when perhaps Nottingham Forest at home what we talked about with him being more attacking Tommy maybe having a wobbly couple of games I think was probably the only contentious or even sort of debatable position that um of the starting eleven, but uh, how d- how did you perceive the starting eleven? What maybe do you think of the Tierney situation?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I was gutted not to see Tierney in that game. I thought it was definitely his kind of game, as as you said, Toby. Nottingham Forest at home, and Tierney being the attacking fullback that he is, with those crosses swinging in, and you know the clean sheet justifies the defensive position and the defensive sort of stance in terms of who we're selecting. But now I'm just thinking, you know, apart from those Europa League or FA Cup games, when is Tierney mm-hmm. going to play those those big games, you know, without without an injury? And I wonder what's going through his head. You know, I'm sure he just wants to be playing. I'm sure he just wants to be part of the team. But then I guess you can make the argument that, you know, you need two excellent left backs in order to, to mount any form of title charge, any form of defense of, of any sort of lead. So I think... You know, looking at that Tinny situation, I'm so glad he's still there and still able to play for us. But I do fear that he's gonna become increasingly unhappy with the position he's currently playing.
0: It is weird, isn't it? Like it's really weird. I mean, he is another excellent left back. I just think stylistically they are a bit different. We've talked about it in this podcast many times, but when you do pick Tom Yasu um for a game like this, we did need to win, but you know, I think I think it probably speaks volumes to someone like Tierney, and he's quite a sensitive guy. Um, you know, he's quite vulnerable. looking down here, he doesn't think London is necessarily his home. Home. He was. He was. He's very much used to being the main man, a part of a very family orientated club. Mm-hmm. Now, the feel good factor around the club definitely produced that. But when you're not in the team, week in, week out, you've had your injuries. You've got the second cho- the first choice. Sorry. Well, I guess second choice right back really. Playing in your position as a second choice left back, it's it puts you down the pecking order, and it must be he mustn't be feeling the love at the moment. Actually, I think Tierney struggled for the last couple of games. But if you are a manager with, who's got confidence in a player, right? If you are a manager who's uh, hoping to get you back to form, obviously he's got to have the full team at heart and wanting to get the team back to form. But actually, as an individual, seems to be uh, not putting the faith in Tierney to bring him back to form, and um, it certainly would have been very damning for him not to start and uh look for me I wanted to see him I'm sitting in my uh sitting in my sofa thinking I'd like to see Tierney I'd like to get see him get back but <laughs> I'm just thinking about results right and mm-hmm. it's really interesting stylistically how they set up because Tierney um Tomiyasu was really playing that inverted attacker he was in the center of midfield most of the time mm-hmm. so I just wonder if what you think about positionally where you think this might this kind of uh puts Arteta and where you think he wants his, 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 his uh, right backs and left backs to be?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the main motivations behind purchasing Sinchenko was that he could play that inverted fullback role. And he was very comfortable in the centre midfield. He plays that for Ukraine as well. So I think one of the things that I would say is holding Tierney back from getting that starting position back is his ability and almost his ability to feel comfortable in the middle of the park. You know, He's not going to be able to play the ball and spray the ball like uh, a Zinchenko or perhaps not like a, a Tomiyasu. Uh, his style, as I'm sure we all know, is to bomb down the wing, tireless running, uh, getting stuck in and whipping balls in that are just put on a plate. And at the moment, I guess that's not what we're looking for. We're looking to dominate that center of the park and we're looking for someone to sit in for Granit Xhaka when he starts running forward and scoring all these amazing goals, and also for for Thomas Party, and I also thought that Tierney's pace and ability to defend one on one would be great at that. Uh, but it's perhaps his ability on the ball that maybe is just holding him back at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think so. I don't. He's almost a victim of his own um, his own abilities. You know, I think sometimes he is that up and down your traditional wing back, left back, you can zip across in, you can beat a man, you can shoot, you know, all that sort of stuff. But um, when it comes to the one-on-one defending and height, I think, I guess there's a physicality to it, a, a reliability of both feet, a central Area kind of expectation and I don't want this whole podcast to be about this because it is in, but it is interesting and it is kind of particularly from a lineup perspective one of the only interesting things I, I thought was going on but um, I definitely want to keep on top of it I do just wonder if the writing's on the wall a little bit you know and I do think you know we've made all this investment into the squad eventually we're going to have to get rid of a player or two that we do like and if that means that one of the players ends up being stylistically not quite fitting then that just might be the case we've seen it before with Man City and the kind of players they've ended up having to get rid of and you know different kinds of areas they have had to offload in and that's because they're upgrading and um I hate to say that we're upgrading on Tierney, but um I just think for the system we might be upgrading do you know what I mean I think there's a difference there we're not saying he's a bad player because he's it wasn't that long ago he's our best player for a very long time so the style's changed the team has developed and just I do wonder where his future lies off the back of it but um an interesting conversation, but look, Tommy Tomiyasu starts and quite frankly, I think he kind of justifies it from the beginning, from the first five minutes when we end up scoring the goal. What was it? Yeah, five minutes. Um, I think we see both left back, both wing backs uh, play in this. We see them both inverted at one point, the ball goes out, um, draws in the play, Martinelli swings it across and almost Unai Emery era style Martinelli brings back his heading ability, but what a goal.
1: No, of course. What a goal. And, you know, with the whole Tierney situation, we can also flip it on its head. As you said, um, Tommy Yasu did brilliantly in the opening five minutes and he's keeping a left-back like Tierney out of the team in a position that he doesn't usually play. So you have to give him all the credit and to say, you know, he's doing the right things. And I guess he, he justified it in those first five minutes. You know, Saka swinging the ball in and then Martinelli making like an absolute road runner and just nodding at home. And I think that's exactly... The start that you would have wanted you know we are now notorious for making that fast start and having Martinelli running at a million miles an hour for you at the first five minutes is not going to be fun and then once you do that you put it in the net and then you just go from there do
0: you remember that season where uh and I can't remember which one it was I think Liverpool got really famous for scoring really quickly and it might have been mm-hmm. the title season um Win, it might have actually been as well. They're like SAS team. It was, mm-hmm. or was it Suarez, uh Sterling, and who was the other one? Was it Sturridge? I thought it was like the. Sturridge, Yeah, S. The triple S-S. S-S. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. So Sturridge, Sterling, and Suarez. That was it. Yeah. So, but they just, I just, every game first five minutes bang one two it was relentless and Mm -hmm. they could almost dictate the rest of the game from it if the other team came to them they could go and score five as we did today or if they didn't they would just chill with the ball and they'd happily win one or two nil so really really interesting and uh, we we just keep doing it and teams expect it and for some reason we can just keep doing it and um, that's you know when you have Saka that people are doubling up on and you have Martinelli that people are doubling up on that creates gaps and Mm -hmm. when people are scared of uh you know, remember last season we only had really Saka as an outlet and then the Will Smith Row would be bombing through, but we had a Bamiyan, couldn't really hold up play. It was kind of now that it's coming from all angles. Uh we've got um uh, Jacko seems to be moving up the pitch, Erdegaard's more confident, there's party making these incisive parts like everything is happening and teams don't quite know where to focus their defence. And I think we're really seeing that. And uh look I think there's been times where we make fast starts and uh, we, we we tend to go off a bit. And I'm not sure that happened this game. I really did think we put our foot on the gas, although Saka's injury probably slowed things down. But look, fast start again, big impact in their faces. It's, it's super exciting. And apart from anything else, on a Sunday at two o'clock, you know, the Emirates crowd, not the Emirates, but just generally... Between midday and o'clock kick- kickoffs, I've been to a 3pm game where it's a bit flat at the beginning. It does take a while to warm up. And these fast starts are really, really engaging the crowd. That's it. And
1: you're getting the crowd geed up and behind you and singing 1-0 to the Arsenal just from the get-go. And then you're having 60,000 people singing that right from the beginning. It's not going to be fun. And you definitely don't want the, the opposite to happen and then to be a 3pm kickoff, 2pm kickoff and then mm. now have to really put in put in the sing-song. So, to get that going, to get the crowd G'd up, and then a fast start always gets you G'd up. When you know that you've seen the first five, you're like, this is going to be a great game, then that really gets the the crowd going. And you see, you know, crowd-favorite Martinelli getting it in, Saka combining with him. Um, and it was a very similar effect to Smith Rowe last season when he was scoring all those goals, and being another fan-favorite, getting that number 10 as well. So, I think it's interesting to see who scores as well, I think, can also perhaps make a difference. But I thought, you know, getting, getting that goal in the first five made a huge difference to the crowd and just the mentality about the game. We forgot about PSV within five minutes, and then that was the most important thing.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that was really important. And I wonder how, how much do you reckon uh, North London, for, London Forever has made a difference to fast starts? It's completely immeasurable, but yeah, it's, I, it's like, get what have assist? you got for me? Yeah, it's got to get it. Yeah, assist. yeah, yeah. You know, everyone
1: singing it, everyone getting those goosebumps every single time and just creating that unity, you know, whether you're mm. from North London or not, your club is in North London and you're with your club for, for forever, whatever the weather, if we're going to start nice. quoting the song. So, <laughs> you know, I think it just gets everyone united and in the frame of mind to to get mm. going. And I think, you know... Uh, Louis Dunford should definitely take a lot of credit for that
0: it's it's interesting isn't it like obviously there's no way we could do this but I'd love to see a parallel universe where it didn't happen but there's something about like we've all played sport before you know like you kind of get in your huddle before the game and maybe go out onto the pitch you have a huddle and I don't know there's I don't know obviously you can be up for a game but there's definitely days where you're not And um, 100% I can't remember a home game I'm trying to think of the last home game. I don't remember seeing us up for it from the beginning with um, Louis Dumford. I, I went to the Newcastle game last year. It was really flat for the first first half. Um, I'm just thinking, well, look, completely measurable, soft factor, all that sort of stuff, but very interesting. And look, we, we, we did tail off afterwards, but um, I guess I think the thing I wanted to talk about now uh, was what I thought was a bit of a story of the first half. I thought we were very good. I thought we were creating chances, but the Saka injury... Um, was very important. He's obviously very important to our attack. I think he was slowing down, although he still had a good shot, and he was kind of making things happen here and there with basically one leg. Um, did eventually have to go off, and wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought about uh, that injury and, and where it came from.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think it's the measure of Saka's impact in that sense, mm. and how pivotal he is to our style of play to our philosophy and to the players as well you know when you're looking forward who are you're looking for and you're looking for a couple of options but a lot of them is going to be saka and you know that if he controls it and gets it down he can mm. keep it something's going to happen so i think it does have that almost demoralizing effect on the 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 on the team i should say uh just in terms mm. of who you're going to pass to how do you see the game now and I think that just showed when it did go a little bit flat. And especially when you're a team, you don't want to see your teammate go off injured. It can just affect you whether you like it or not, I think.
0: I, yeah, and I think um, that, that that did happen. Obviously, that can happen. But I think what I'm really getting at, right, I think is uh, how he got injured and why he got injured. And um, obviously, he was getting, he like not even Forrest's tactic, particularly after he scored the goal, was to kick him. Kick him. And uh, I don't know what this new rule is. No one really knows the let it play rule. The um, It seems to be an invitation to just kick and just hit and just basically injure players. And um, particularly against Southampton. Uh, I remember times against Leeds. There's been a lot of times where we've won where players have been allowed to manhandle the Um He's our creative outlet. He's very important. And do you remember the... Tyro Mings picking up, slammed out. Like I don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like it's a, it's it's been growing, and all of us have been more and more concerned about it. I remember during the Southampton game, people vocally concerned about his welfare, and it was only a matter of time. And kicks have got worse. They've got more sharp. They've got harder. And guess what? He takes one massive kick in the ankle, and it's a massive issue, and he might not be going to the World Cup. Now that's a bit of an overreaction because apparently his injury might not be too bad, but if you need a wake-up call, FA, PJMOL, PE, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the <laughs> Referee Association, wake up, because this is happening to not just Saka, but a lot of players, and we just do not need it in the time where the most amount of games in a single month has ever been played in the Premier League, and we're allowing this to happen, and of course players are going to get injured, of course people are going to suffer for it, and um, it's it's infuriating because these kids, man, they're, they're young, they're playing a lot of games, and For some reason, we just seem to be allowing people to just kick the shit out of them, basically. No,
1: indeed. And it's obviously just, you know, the timing of it is not great. So I can see the thinking behind the letter play rule. You want this game to be able to flow. You want it to, you know, still have uh, that physical side to be a physical game. But it is coming at a time when, as you said, the most amount of Premier League games played in a single month and a packed fixture list and you're allowing the interpretation of the rule to be taken into the player's hands as well. And it's that you let it play, so that, okay, here's something to let play. And then that's yeah. when you you get the kicks in. And then it comes from that kind of football philosophy where it's like, you know, be physical, get stuck in. And unfortunately, that is making the main outlets of teams suffer the consequences and be manhandled. You know, you saw in the um Leeds game, I think it was, or perhaps mm-hmm. it was, um, at the Southampton game as well, uh, where the, I think it was the Southampton game where one defender in particular was always on Jesus every yep. single time, yeah, basically yeah. giving him a big bear hug. And from that, you know, why let it play? But if that if that's going to be the case, and the players are going to get injured. So it is a fine line to walk.
0: But I get I get the let it play thing. It's a great idea. I love a physical game. You know, like the shoulder to shoulder contact. That's not a foul. Let it play. Go in hard. That is a that is a strong tackle. Get rid of those stupid fouls where you sort of just stop, stick your bum out. Someone sort of touches you, and you just dive over. I hate those—the ones that are in your own third and you're buying a free. I hate those. Get rid of it. Let it play. But a foul is a foul, and a kick is a kick. You can't just be doing that, you know. And um, uh, if Makaya Hackers out now for the next couple of games, it could massively impact us, and obviously England too. So it's it's infuriating. And look, thank God it didn't uh, make a big impact. I was very surprised oh god pardon me Jesus that is rude I'm so sorry to everyone listening. <laughs> I've had a very long
1: day I'm not that boring to I didn't you, even know
0: mate. mean oh, how, <laughs> how day do you know what it's because I've been speaking for a long time and I'm bored of my own voice so I'm gonna pass it over to you <laughs> what do you think of the substitution or actually no for, for the person who came on for Uzaka, what was your immediate reaction and then, what was your reaction? Yeah, so... Is that I, but I'm going to bet they're two very, very different things. Potentially. So,
1: you know, I think the way I'll answer it is that when Pepe left, I did think that, okay, Pepe's gone. Reese Nelson, is he going to stay? If he's going to stay, then he's going to have to work hard for that place. Because you think of the right wing, if Smith Rowe isn't available, then, and Eddie and Ketcher, you know, is being in and out of left wing and, and central striker, who are you going to play mm-hmm. there? It's probably going to be Reese. Um, or Marquinhos, but Marquinhos doesn't know the league as well as Reese and um, isn't as as mature, I would say. So I thought that you know Reese had a decent amount of opportunity there, and when I saw the change, made him like, right, okay, this is make or break time. Um, this is either going to be a fantastic decision, or you know Reese is going to unfortunately let this opportunity pass him by. And boy, did he not let it pass him by, and. To see one of Arsenal's own, to see someone who's been in, a, in and around, been up and down in terms of loans, in terms of hype, it's just fantastic to see him bring it home and to score those two goals, to get that confidence, to kiss the badge after, you know, it's exactly what you want to see. And, you know, decision completely validated and I'm so glad he took his opportunity and now he's on the door and knocking and saying, well, where, where are you going to put me now?
0: I know, well, mate... When his, when his name came up, I uh, just this is the guy he had a relatively underwhelming loan, admittedly with a bit of injury, um, away in uh, Holland last year. Admittedly, he did also get to a Europa League final. This is a guy who his first two Premier League goals were 127 minutes days, sorry, apart. This is someone who didn't even get in the Europa League teams, really? He's played a few times, but but definitely nowhere near as much as I thought he would. I thought he'd be the first name on the team seat, um, given his position, the loan he's had, the, the the competition. But actually, Marquinhos seems to have got the nod over him quite regularly. So for his name to come up over a Vieira, over a Marquinhos, was quite surprising. And uh, I was certainly surprised. And uh, given how often we saw, well, or how recently we've sort of been sloping off games, I thought... Maybe a Vieira or a Marquinhos would have been um, would have been the option, but very 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 quickly, I think we realised. God, this guy is uh, up for a bit of a game. Obviously, come out at half-time. Yeah, he means bang. business. That first goal, um, uh, pure tenacity. I think really, he, he just seems to you know seems to fit the part really really well. I mean, obviously, look, Forrest at home, we won it up. All that sort of stuff. But he just seemed hungry. His touch was good. He really fit into the system, which is not something I've seen him do ever, I think. Um and I particularly from the right hand side. Um, I always had him down, even when he has been playing on the right hand side, i always thought he'd suit the left a bit more, um, as an inverted right footer. But no, seemed seemed to be going very well, and obviously came in on his left foot and uh tried to slot it away and then followed up after a rebound. So just pure tenacity and someone who looked like he wanted to be there more than anything and i think when we compared it to some of the eddie and recent performances um you know i mean that was was it was, it, it was Nketiah on the bench of course he was yeah i was quite surprised that Nketiah didn't come on and maybe mm-hmm. james would come up well, you know, all these sorts of things martinelli on the right and it was quite surprising um and if anything it was like a part of me that thinks looking back was this were they saying to ketyer look mate you want to be here get yourself there because we've got people who want to be here so you're on this contract make your mark put Mm -hmm. the effort in you you will get the minutes you will do well
1: yeah i think an interesting example to consider as well is that how many teams are going to have prepared for reese nelson to come on Mm. not many um and how many are going to have studied his game and prepared some form of okay you know he's going to shift on his left right whatever Watch out, you know, for enketia of course, because now, you know, he's scoring goals. He's uh, signed on to Arsenal and he's probably going to come on and replace Jesus at some point. So you're going to plan for that. You're going to plan for the rest of the 11. But now you've seen Reese Nelson come on and be that unpredictable player, even though he's been in and around for, for ages. But I, I guarantee that there aren't going to be many teams that have at least focused or given him the time of day that now he's shown he's worth. So I think that unpredictability, that spark was was just the right game for him.
0: The surprise Nelson. That's it. it. He, uh, he what an impact that goal. His first goal, his second goal, he, he ran from his own penalty box. Actually, in fairness, he jogged from his own penalty box. (laughs) Just made sure he snuck up the back end of the field. Jesus again involved, um, slips it across, gets in the front post, poaches goal, bang, and just a great finish. It was kind of exactly the kind of a goal you'd expect Eddie Hinketia to score, actually, which Mm -hmm. I think is quite funny in itself, but, um, no, just, just, just sublime. And, um, then, then goes ahead and gets. <laughs> uh, I think we'll call it an assist, and it and it is an assist, and because of the day he'd had, we'll call it an assist for sure. But um, Thomas Party goes and bends one in the top corner, and hey, I, I always knew he could.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone did, everyone did. I mean, now it's like it's two carbon copies of goal against Spurs. This one against Forest now, and you're just like, you know what, Tommy, just go go do it again, you know, and again and again and again as many times as you want. And I think it's just a symbol of the confidence that he's playing with, the confidence that the team has. And, you know, he's escaped another game without an injury and he's scored. So that, that's what we want. And I think Reese can, can claim that assist if he really, really wants to. But I think fantastic yeah. finish, you know, you can't fault it.
0: Definitely. No, no, no. It's uh, it's weird because obviously it was it is scary just how identical it is to Tottenham. And I think obviously pattern play, working up the right. Another example is to how Nelson actually fits in really well. Um that's slipping across to party. We even tried it, I think, a couple of times in the Chelsea game. We we're in pre-season. There's a few screenshots going around Twitter. Like it's not something that it's just a complete fluke. Uh it just took a while to get right. Um so no, bend it round the top corner. Two defenders, it goes round straight in. I mean, it's just sublime. So that makes it four. And um look, Gabriel Jesus has a bit of a tough, tough day in front of goal, a couple of one-on-ones, the one we really should be putting away, the other one I think you should do better. We'll get on to that very shortly, uh, but involved in pretty much everything good going forward. And uh, look, Thomas Partey again zips it into Gabriel Jace's foot, Joe Zeus's feet, um, sticks to his boot like as it always does. He tees it up from for Erdogan, who dances around a player or two and shoves it in the top corner for five. And honestly, it could have been 10 that game, but just an unbelievable performance with some clinical finishing, which I think we've needed. Um, so yeah. Feeling, feeling very good about, about all the finishing. Um, I th- think uh, I'm looking at the question. We've got loads of questions on Gabriel Jesus. Um, so I think we'll leave it to the questions because I think there's quite a lot to talk about there. Um, certainly all positive from me. Um, let me just triple check. There is a question. Otherwise we'll go into it. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah, let's go for it. So, all right. Um, so, have you got any ma- have you, who's your man of the match? In fact, let's talk about Jesus because I don't think there's enough questions on it. Everyone's asking a slightly different one again, which will become more apparent. Um, what do you think of Gabriel Jesus, his finishing, his contribution to the team, ETC, ETC, ETC?
1: Yes, I would say that my opinion on Jesus is that he's doing everything he's been there to do and he's just not quite getting the numbers to reflect it look at the assisted he's got, he's an absolute menace to defenders and he can get better and his finishing can certainly get better. And I think I saw one of his post-match interviews that, you know, he just has to keep working hard is what he said. And also that the goals will come. And this is a, a striker's job that the goals come and then they, for whatever reason, no matter what you're doing right, don't come. And, you know, what he could be doing perhaps it's just being a little bit more clinical taking things a little bit earlier but that's also not his game he's always been that player there's there's one more defender to beat he's going to fake round and and try and finish it for you know later on with a side foot and i think you know that's going right for him that's what he should be doing and he's just not finding the back of the net but i have a feeling that once he finds that one then the goals will keep coming and coming and coming but otherwise he's justifying his place in the team for me
0: i think if uh well, firstly, I think something that's consistent throughout his season, throughout his career, is that he scores about once every three games, just over, and uh, that's what we're seeing. He scored five goals. We scored, what, we played what thirteen games, whatever it is, I don't know, uh, twelve games, and that's the rate he's scoring at. Um, fine, like he, if he plays like he played yesterday for every game of the season, he'll be at by far our best player. It's a good way of putting it. I don't give it. If he doesn't score a single goal for our season, he plays like he did yesterday. We'll probably be close to winning the league. He's mm-hmm. that. It is. He is making that much of an impact everywhere, back, front, middle, dictating play, winning it up high. He's our target man. He can lay it off. He's bring. He's making Martinelli and Saka, Erdegaard and Jaka all significantly better. He's allowing us to do other things. People defend against us differently. It's, it's ridiculous how much impact he's having and. Mm-hmm. To, to put a goal metric on it, I admit, obviously, as a centre-forward, it's very easy to do, um, but I think it's kind of pointless. And look, he had seven shots yesterday. All he has to do is convert one of those, and we're talking very differently. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he, it will come, and I think it will just be the last thing that, that, that does. And I think uh, he'll he'll have good patches again, and he'll have bad patches when it comes to scoring goals. And uh, quite frankly, I'm there for the ride. Yeah,
1: and one way I would put it is you know, metric-schmetric. For me, you know, a, a goal... <laughs> Good analysis as always. Yeah, always, you know, cutting-edge stuff here. And I would say a goal right now for me is not it's not what he needs, it's what he deserves. For all his play, all his assists, all his movement, all his pressing, all his effect all, uh, off the pitch as well, I think he deserves a goal. And I think he's getting himself in the right position to deserve that, and he's just not quite getting it at the moment. So as you said, mm. you know, if he played like he did yesterday, rest of the season... We're gonna make that impact, we're gonna get that that kind of recognition and finish to the season that we deserve. And he just needs or oh, he just deserves, I should
0: say, that goal to show for it. So we've got very Batman very quickly there, didn't it? So it's the goal he doesn't need, but it's the goal he deserves. Something like that. I'm pretty sure it's like a Batman quote. Anyway. We'll move oh, on. Yeah. Um Bat Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh who was your man of the match? Ooh. You know, I
1: mean, I, I have to give it to Reese Nelson. Um, not only did he perform exceptionally, but he also brought that, that great feeling. I don't know, I always love it when someone who's on the fringes of the squad and is not quite in, can still come on, make an impact and still loves the club. You know, I think that's a measure of a true love for the club is when you're out of favour but still want to be around, still do what you can and still work hard. So to see that, nice. you know, almost given back to him, reciprocated from the club and from Arteta... I think that's just fantastic man management. And I think that's a fantastic result, both for us and for Reese Nelson. So it goes to Reese Nelson for me.
0: Yep, fair play. I think that's a really, really nice choice. I was going to then give it to Jesus, but uh, uh, as amazing as he was and as perfect as he was yesterday in every other department of finishing, I thought Thomas Partey did that and finished an unbelievable goal. I thought uh, he... If you need any evidence of what this guy can do, uh, watch this 90 minutes for Thomas Partey. Oh, I think it might have been... His top three games in an Arsenal shirt. I think he mm-hmm. dictated play. He was zipping balls around. He was confident. You know when players confident when just the speed of their passes are just so powerful? Like he could, he was curling it around to Saka and to Martinelli. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. a through ball that he'd given another one, two, I believe, around the back of the park, got through to the middle and just this unbelievable through ball to Mar- through ball to Martinelli on the left. And um it just sets the tone on how we play and exactly where we play on the pitch, and it's the most important thing. So um Yeah, I had to go to Big TP. What about your dick of the day?
1: Oh, dick of the day is always a tough one Um, because there's so many choices because we open it up to like the whole footballing world. Um, Mm. So I think... I think it's going to go to Tottenham as a club. Um, Mm. I think just their... Their performances have not been great and I've just been hearing all this about Conte moaning about VAR and to be honest, if VAR wasn't doing that for him and going in his favour, he wouldn't be saying that. So with VAR, you have to take both sides to it. So I'm going to give it to Spurs and specifically Conte.
0: I was going to give it to Bournemouth um, for just screwing up a two-goal lead against Tottenham. That's my head in. That's what the way did. it
1: goes. What are you doing? Yeah. I know. And then, I know. you know, Conte stops complaining then. And... So it's like, you know, the combination of the worst <laughs> evils possible.
0: It is weird, isn't it? I just like that. Like, I get where, like, Venky used to moan and I used to not mind it. But, you know, Klopp moans every single hour. And then I like, had a big outburst about Arteta moaning when he, want, like, literally did not moan once. He blamed yeah, his players yeah. um, or blamed himself. And I was like, what? and then she's <laughs> got like lambasted for moaning and everyone's like did he and then obviously everyone yeah, else the, is the anyway pot crazy the kettle black yeah literally all of that stuff so um uh very good so Bournemouth and Tottenham somehow both kinda end up coming out of this as dick of the days but that is that <laughs> expert analysis that <laughs> also edited expert analysis absolutely as always as always um okay uh let's do some questions lots of questions around the injury um Ammo Jen says, How serious is the Saka injury? Uh, Quite a few questions on that, here? Yeah. uh, Ripper347, How serious is the injury? Jims underscore seven says, Saka's injury info. All of that sort of stuff. Uh, I believe my understanding of it is it comes from Twitter and it comes from various news outlets, Mm -hmm. uh, none of which I'm sure are trustworthy because I'm not sure there is any trustworthy news out there at the moment on this. Seems to be okay. I think at most he'll be out for the Chelsea game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he will probably play against Chelsea. We'll probably leave him out of PSV. That's my understanding of it. I'm I not agree. a reptile source because I've only taken into account lots of unreptable sources. So I'm merely regurgitating what I've read and I've got absolutely no idea. I'm about as far as ITK as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that does lead us to the next good question. Is Ollie Campbell-Roger says, can Nelson step up if Saka is injured?
1: I would love to think so. Um, I think that would be great. And, you know, you think of a footballer's career and it's hard to imagine a footballer's career without some form of luck and some form of just everything fitting together. And I think Nelson, with his two goals, with the way he's been working and now if Saka's out, his ability to take to the stage and really grasp opportunity with both hands, I think it would be it would be a shame not to think that he could step up. And I think he deserves to be thought of in that way. And I think he's got it in him. He just needs to show it.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, look, hey, one game.
1: Uh, one game. And he's fair. done
0: scored two goals and assists. So I think all the evidence points to um, to that. I mean, look, I to, to, to be completely honest, I, I think he's had a good game. We were at home. He's done as well as he could. He's an Arsenal kid. Like, brilliant. Um, we, we do need to... Small, uh, bigger sample size. I think clearly Arteta's seen something in training to put him ahead of Enketi and Marquinhos, uh, the era in, in that situation. So, and he did reference that after the game. Like, he's seen tenacity. And uh, what I do hope is this gives him a bit of bite, a bit of, you know, you're 24, 22. How yeah, old is fire he? Fire in the belly. I think he's yeah, like fire 24 in the belly.
1: ish, no? 22. Sorry, is 22.
0: So it's just really time to kick on. You know, if you look back at his youth career and what people were saying about him, and it, He's got it in him. It's just about delivering now when it's time to really step up. And I hope Mm -hmm. that this is the time where he does. Um, If Saka is injured, I think I'd definitely be inclined to start him against Zurich. Give him that chance, keep momentum going. Um, Him and Ketia and uh, perhaps Marquinhos across the front three, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, very, very excited to see what we've got there. And look, particularly with the transfer market coming up, Nelson, mate, it's a good time to step up. Yeah, yeah. If it's ever going to happen for you, so um, do I think he could? I don't know. I, I still honestly think his career will long term be away from Arsenal. And uh, to be completely honest, um, but uh, look, in the meantime, we, we do need our backups, and there are these people, and particularly with the Hale End guy. I wish you all the best, and always, always wanting him to do well every time he crosses that line. So, of course, um, I am not sure, but we shall see. Okay, your, your question.
1: Yeah, so an interesting one from Henry Statham7. So you can choose between this one, Toby. So okay. what do you think the team would look like now if we still had Emery? Or yeah. the other one is if we still had Wenger, whichever one you'd like to answer.
0: Wow. Um, Wenger, probably one of the best coaches they've ever lived. Best Arsenal coach that's ever managed the club. Really good uh, book, My Life in it. Red and White. There you go. And his, you know, he's... I just think it was a a mood at the club at the time. I think at the time we had... uh, We didn't have the money the other players did. We still had the same manager. The stadium had never really seen proper success. Uh, I think he'd won a couple of trophies then. And uh, I think it was time to go. um, Just about. But he did everything he could for the club to keep us fourth place for years and years and years. Like, unbelievable. But I think it just was time for something new. And um, I worry what the Emirates and the atmosphere, looking at what it is today, it's incomparable uh, what it was for the last few days of anger. And I think it would have been stale. Uh, I think we would have been between sixth and fifth every season. Uh, You know, I think it would have, particularly with the kind of players... um, Venga liked, particularly with all that sort of stuff. I do worry as to where we'd have gone. I do think we needed a refresh. That refresh would have led us on too. Let's say, uh, Unai Emery. I think if we had Unai Emery still, I think half the seat, half the uh, stadium would be empty, and uh, I think we'd be in the bottom half. I really, really believe that. I think he's a mm-hmm. great coach, but not for Arsenal. He just could not communicate to anyone. He became a joke. No one wanted to stay. Shaka, Saka. Even even though he brought him on early, there was rumors of him going. Like there was, everybody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to be there. And uh, I honestly don't know who on earth we would have got in. I think we were on our way down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the table now. I think what City, Spurs, Newcastle, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Like we'd certainly be below all them. And then you've got your brighter. I honestly think we'd move right down into the next bracket. And I think okay. it would have been a bad place to be. So I think we've got the perfect manager for a perfect time, someone who's prepared to... Re- look how much Arteta's had to do to get us even to where we were at the end of last season, mm-hmm. which was fifth. And that was gutting out, starting again. You know, he, he, there was a platform that needed to be built, and it, he did that exceptionally. I remember talking in the last season, it was like, look, even if Arteta went now, which we didn't want him to, He would have laid the foundations better than any other manager could, ready for a top tier manager to come in. And I think, you know, fortunately, that's not what's happened. What has happened is Alteta's come and done it all himself. So what about you? What what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: I was and still am a huge Wenger fan. I think if you really want to know the man, definitely read his book, My Life in Red and White. It's phenomenal what he did and what he represents uh, in Arsenal's history in his own Demeanor, I think he doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, I think when he went was definitely the time to go. It was yeah. tough for him not to see out his contract as he always did, but I think it was definitely the right time that we needed something, uh, we needed a refresh. And then Emery came in. I really like Emery as a person, as a coach. I've also read his book. He's also just a football fanatic. Like every second word out of his mouth is football. And I heard a really interesting analysis on Sky Sports about it, him about him becoming the manager at Aston Villa, is that that kind of project is Emery's project. You know, you look at what his management at Sevilla, Valencia and Villarreal, is that A, he was able to communicate in his mother tongue, which is great. But also he took that project and with limited resources and against the odds, he built that team up and then was able to challenge for these major trophies. But he was never, you know, going to be a Real Madrid manager and keep them there and be ruthless. He was going to take a project, take a team, build that unity, and then take them somewhere, most likely in a European or domestic competition. And then I think it was his level of analysis and knowledge of the players that got it, got him in uh to um to Arsenal. I mean he he won major trophies at PSG, but that is also PSG. So for me, he just was it just wasn't the right time. And as you said, unfortunately he was turned into a joke. Um he was not taken seriously, and people were were leaving. Uh, fantastic that he did bring in fantastic players such as uh, Bukayo Saka into the fold. You know, he gave him his debut. He uh, brought in Gabriel Martinelli as well. Um, and at the time, Matteo Ganduzzi was was the next best thing. So I think it was all there, but it didn't it didn't work out for him, and he didn't manage it towards the end well. And then I think it was the right decision to let him go. Then Arteta comes in, does all the rebuilding, all the restructuring. Uh, and all the restructuring of our commitment to values as well, which I think was unfortunately lost under Emery. But then Arteta being an Arsenal awesome man, being very, very fluent in English, um, definitely served him well. So I think, in answer to your question, the team would teams under both Emery and Wenger would look very, very different, and the club would as well. And I think the capacity or the uh, amount of fans attending the games, as you said, Toby, would look different as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And um, look, thank God that we got the player, the person that we did. And I don't I don't even know how different it would... i I, even not sure how successful Arteta would have been if he'd come directly after Arsene Wenger. It's impossible to know. So, you know, right manager, right time. And uh, we're all looking good for it. So, question from me then. Uh, Phil Klimoski says, what are your thoughts on our season and how do you think we'll go after the World Cup? I think... If we can get
1: into the World Cup top of the league and then still have some players potentially given a rest, that'll be great. Um, What I do fear is that we lose that momentum and that we have an injury in the World Cup and then we come out uh, looking like, you know, having to look like a different team. Um, As much as I want Ben White in that England squad, if he's not there, then he gets a rest and he's a major player. Odegaard not going to the World Cup, for example. So there are some players in there that will get a rest, that will get a reset. Um, and you know, Reece Nelson now we can think about in that vein as well, Eddie and Ketia. But I just fear that perhaps we'll lose the momentum. And I'm very intrigued as to how Arteta keeps the team together, even though all the players are in different spots. But I think if we can get into um, the World Cup, top of the league, you know, top two guaranteed, then I think we'll still be able to use it as a good reset. And hopefully still be able to continue the momentum and keep that unity even though we're geographically in, in different parts of the world.
0: Yep, I think so. And uh, look, we've asked, we've got about as perfect a uh, uh, start to the season as we could have ever imagined. Uh, we're third of the way through or quarter of the way, whatever it is, and uh, we are still top of the league and it's going really, really well. We're going to go top two going into the World Cup. I think January is going to be like a summer transfer window. I think there'll be a lot of movement. I think a lot's going to happen.
1: Yeah, good way to put it. Any,
0: if, if there's ever a time to go all in and bring in money forward. It's probably the only time in the next however long we're going to have a shot at the Premier League, in all seriousness. Mm -hmm. Like, even if we do really, really well and even if we reset, like Chelsea are coming back, Man United are coming back, Tottenham, no, I'm not worried about them. Newcastle are coming, though. Like, this is a a once-in-a-20-year kind of opportunity and look, it's probably about a 1-in-10 chance, but it's still a 1-in-10 chance. Still 1-in-10. So we've got to go for it, and uh, look—if we can push it to the wire, then we we will need those extra summer signings. So, um, but let's let's wrap up the questions there. We we we've got—I want to hear about the women's. It's been another exciting week. So, thanks everyone for sending the questions. Connor, what's been going on with the women's? Oh goodness,
1: you know I keep on saying it every week. What a pleasure it is to talk about the women's team. So you know, major headline is that Arsenal beat. Um, had another six point week, so we beat. Zurich on the Thursday, I was there. Great match. Um, Around about 5,000 of us there. So, you know, more than Meadow Park, which is great. Um, and we saw very much a rotated team, you know, to the extent where we had uh, our Arsenal editor fan favourite, Jen Beattie playing first start of the season. Uh, Noel Maritz at right back, first start. Mane Uubuchi, first start. Uh, Jordan Nobbs, first start. And, you know, Viv Miedema starting at striker, <laughs> for the first time since February 5th uh, of this year. So very much a rotated team and we got the job done. 3-1 win. Wasn't our best performance because, you know, it wasn't a team that played uh, often together, but we still had a a fantastic performance from the girls and dominated the game, you know, really, really dominated it. And the scores basically went 1-0 to Arsenal, um, 2-0, then 2-1. And then basically we just turned it on from there and got 3-1 immediately after that and just saw the game out. So a professional performance, I would say, um, got the job done, and that's what we needed, those three points to set us up for Leicester away and then some tough fixtures against Juventus as well. Um, yeah, Interesting group in that sense. And then on the Sunday, we recorded our 13th uh, consecutive league win, a new WSL record, which is phenomenal. So we, the first team ever in the English league to win 13 games in a row. Unfortunately, we conceded our first league goal of the season, um, which was a calamitous error. I mean, we basically scored it ourselves. Um, For those who didn't watch, what happened was there was um a classic mistake between centre-back and goalkeeper. Uh, mm. Centre-back, uh, Steph Catley played it back and then uh, obviously passed it back to uh, Manuel, Manuela Zinsberger, who was not in the position that she thought she was. Um, Manuela couldn't get the touch on the ball, hit the post, and then was scrambled and over the line by their striker, uh, the West Ham striker. So, unfortunate way to go out. Um, and it was looking wobbly. West Ham really turned it on in those first 20, 25 minutes. And then, luckily, uh, we had super sub Jordan Nobbs on, uh, came on for a slightly injured Kim Little, so hopefully not too serious, because she is the engine of that team. Very much a Thomas Party kind of figure, but just you know, you throw a ball anywhere. You go in your house, you throw the ball anywhere, and Kim Little will come collect it. Um you watch any game, she her ball recovery and ability to read the game uh, is fantastic. And actually is a Doctor Little. She received uh an honorary ah. doctorate from Herefordshire University, Harpershire University. Is that
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay.
1: Um for her. What for? I think it was either um her work in the community or in like business and marketing or something. Um okay. but yeah she's Doctor Little. So that's phenomenal. And you can see that she's the doctor of picking up any form of ball anywhere on the pitch. Mm. So it's honestly going to be very interesting to see how we respond to that miss, because she's also our captain. But then on came super sub Jordan Nobbs, 40 minutes in. And uh, on the 41st minute, scored a goal. Changed the game, captain's armband on, and just continued her rich game of form. And throughout the game, she was buzzing everywhere. She was wanting the ball, demanding it. And then we went 2-1 up thanks to Stina Blaxtenius' uh, volley um, from a Steph Catley free kick, making up and atoning for her error earlier on in the game. And then we sealed it off with a surprise, surprise Marnum goal. She's in the form of her life, three goals in the last four appearances. Um, the only time she didn't score was when she came on for the last 20 minutes at Zurich. Um, and she's in the form of her Arsenal career, absolutely loving life. And you know, Keeping Viv Miedema out the team, how many players can say they're doing that? Not many. And I think Viv is, you know, raring to go and seeing the quality of the team. And interesting article by Charlotte Walsh on Sky Sports about the conundrum between selecting Viv Miedema or, or Frieda Marnum. And at times you don't have to. Viv can play up top and then drop deep and Marnum mm-hmm. can play that role, which is fantastic. That means you have to sacrifice Black Blackstenius, but it is a different game plan. And it just epitomizes the title charge and the seriousness to which Arsenal are, are to be considered. To have two top top quality players rotating in and out of the starting lineup is phenomenal. And unfortunately, she didn't. She wasn't able to handle or add one more goal to her tally in that game. Mm-hmm. And somehow missed missed the goal from about six yards out. But we don't talk about that. Three uh, one hmm. win, three points, top of our Champions League group, top of the league in the WSL as well and just a fantastic week for for
0: Arsenal It is mad how fine the margins are in WSL at the moment obviously we're doing so well we've not dropped a point yet Uh, it is 5 from 5 same as Manchester United women except the only difference is the fact we've scored the same amount of goals as Manchester United We've we've only conceded one but they've conceded none therefore they're top of the league so we aren't top of the league at the moment but I can imagine we'll be very soon How worried do we need to be about Manchester United? And what on earth has happened to them? Because they only started last year, didn't they? And suddenly, they're flying.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a recruitment. You know, they threw absolutely everything at it. You know, they had Tobin Heath in one of their first years who came to Arsenal. Absolute amazing player, veteran of the game. And, you know, you look at the players they have now. They have um, the one that pops to mind at the moment, is Alessio Russo, who from the Euros, everyone knows a lot about. And I think it's just gelling as a team, and they've worked together. They've kept a lot of their players and they're recruiting really, really well as well. And they're just clicking. You know, They're just doing really well in terms of being a team, playing together and working for it. And that game at the Emirates is going to be against United. Um, it's going to be a fantastic measure of where we are in the season as well. And I think this is the kind of thing you want to see in the league. You don't want to see Arsenal or Chelsea running away with it as much as Arsenal fans would like to see Arsenal just run away with, you know, nine point gap at at some stage of the season. You want this tight title race. And I think United being there is going to be it's going to be a tough game for Arsenal. It is. Um, But with it being at the Emirates when we play them at home, I think it's going to be a fantastic occasion. And that's how it should be. You also want to bring the fans into these games and to show that only these teams are only going to get better and only going to make each other better. You know, it harks back to those days in the Wenger, Ferguson era, when it was either Arsenal United for the title. Very, very exciting. You know, Chelsea are in there as well. But I think we can be cautiously optimistic with any opposition, I would say, this season. You know, we've beaten Leon 5-1 and we're sailing away in the league. I think there's no reason not to be cautiously optimistic. Uh, but of course, you know, Jonas Eideval, the inner Jonas Iderval, and me will be saying, you know, we need to be humble. And we need to respect where we are. We need to respect the opposition. You know, look at West Ham. They, the game plan was to watch for their absolutely speedy striker, who um, uh, the name is escaping me now. One of the best on the counter attack and also one of the best strikers. Herjosta it's like um, a Nordic name. And, you know, she is fantastic in the area as well. So each team has some form of threat you should be aware of but then it's how we manage our own game. And there's something that came up in our Gen Beatty interview as well. It was that one of the mm. issues last season, she told us was that they focused too much on the opposition and not on their own game. And that cost them some games. And I think, you know, with any opposition, we need to play our game and we'll see it through.
0: Yeah, I know. It makes a lot of sense. And It seems to be a, a message throughout the whole club at the moment um, is stay humble. You've done nothing yet. And yep. uh, I think, you know, and again, not to plug our own... Uh, you know, to, to, to blow our own trumpets, so to speak. But, uh, you oh, know, having geez. met you on and, uh, spoken to him personally, uh, yeah. uh I can yeah. tell yeah. you, for that well. you know, we've done nothing yet. So it's all about the champions league focus. And it's all about getting to the next step and focusing on the next game. And, uh, you know, I think Arteta's done something very similar for the men's too. So, um, but look, really appreciate you running us through that. It is always good to hear that. And it is an exciting time to be an Arsenal fan, both for the men and women's. And, um, even the hell of a lot coming up through youth, there's a hell of a lot of exciting from both sides, a lot of exciting stuff. So, um, all looking good. Again, I don't know where the bad thing is coming from, mate. We keep having to have good conversations on this podcast. And <laughs> as Arsenal fans, it, it's incredibly unnerving. Uh, yeah, I I'm know. just like,
1: I'm starting to get the shakes the, of too much positivity.
0: Ah, uh, need to, yeah, some, it's going to go wrong. We just, I don't know where it's coming from. But, um, <laughs> um, but look, All seems to be so successful so far, not only on the pitch, but also from this new uh, streaming service that we're using, Zencaster. We got rid of our last one, so hopefully that means this is going to be much better. Uh, Time will tell, but so far, so good. Um, But let's get this out there. Um, It is now nearly 7.30 on a a Monday evening, and it's Halloween. It's getting scarier by the minute. So, Connor, thank you so much for joining.
1: My pleasure, Toby. Thank you so much for having me on here, and have a good
0: Halloween, everyone. Stay spooky. Stay spooky, everyone. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll be back next week after we have demolished Chelsea and, of course, progressed past Zurich in the Europa League. And we'll still be top. And we'll see you then. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, guys.